Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank you, Natalie. <clears throat> Good morning, church again. <clears throat> Have you ever fallen short of something in life? Have you ever set a goal in life and just missed it? Or have you ever failed to meet up to someone else's expectations? Or maybe if you're like me, you set expectations for yourself and you've fallen short. Well, back when I was in high school, uh, in 10th grade, I finally got my act together. It took me a whole year. <clears throat> and I had set a goal for myself. I had set a goal that I was going to finish first in my class. And what I do, I spent the next three years slaving away at homework and trying to get as many A's as possible. And when all was said and done, when the dust settled and the grades were all computed, I failed. I missed my goal. I fell short. I, I missed it by hundredths of a, of, a, of a GPA. I fell short not only of my goal, but of my own expectations of myself. And it was a crushing defeat for me. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you had a similar experience in your life of falling short. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in work. Uh, maybe it's in a relationship. Well, we're coming to uh, a passage in which Paul is going to give a summary of all that he has said before in this argument that we've been unpacking. And the summary is this, that we all fall short. We see this in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. So he has been making this argument. We've spent five sermons, if you've been with us. Paul has been making this argument that everyone, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you have the law or not, whether you practice religious sacraments or not, you fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 10, last week, Paul gives us this verse, none is righteous, no, not one. And so what does that mean? That means everyone, everyone, everybody who is in the auditorium this morning has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when we approach a verse like this, I think it's easy for us to not recognize the impact of this verse and, and to not recognize the predicament that we are in or how serious of a predicament that we are in. You know, if I was to go up to someone on the street and say that, that, that you're a sinner, that you have sinned, 
They may just shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect. I think one of the reasons we, we don't understand how serious of a predicament we are in is because we don't understand who it is that we have sinned against. We don't understand how bad our sin is because we don't understand the goodness of God. We don't understand how unrighteous our sin is because we don't understand the righteousness and holiness of God. We don't fully understand the predicament that we're in. One way that we can get a glimpse of how bad our sin is is we can look in the Bible and see what our sin deserves. And the Bible gives us Many pictures of this. One is, is found in the early chapters in Genesis where God basically destroys all of human life save for Noah and his family. Can you imagine that? The, the, like if all of the earth, everybody on earth was wiped away. And why does God pour out his wrath in that way? Because of the evil of men. Because of the sin of men. And why didn't God wipe out everybody? Would God have been just in wiping out all of planet Earth and said, I am done? Well, yes, he would. He would have been just, but he would not have been faithful to his promise. The reason he preserves Noah is because he had made a promise that through the offspring of Eve would come a savior. And so he doesn't eliminate all of mankind, he preserves a remnant to provide a savior. And why doesn't God just completely destroy us right now? Well, he's holding back, why? Because he doesn't want you to perish. He is being patient, he wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to recognize the predicament you are in, how evil your sin is, how it deserves wrath, and he wants you to reach out to him, a savior. And so not only is verse 23 saying that we have sinned, all of us, but it's saying that we fall short of the glory of God. You know, when I was in high school pursuing being number one, pursuing excellence, there's a, there's a good part of that. It's a shadow of something good, a shadow of pursuing glory and excellence. Why is that? Because we were all created for a purpose, and that purpose is to display the glory, the beauty, the excellence of God. Not to seek it for ourselves, but to display the glory of our creator. You know, it's like the moon. There's no brilliance in the moon itself, but the moon, it can reflect the brilliance and the glory of the sun. That's the great purpose for which we are created. That's the great purpose for which we fall short. We fall short. You know, nothing else in this world, all the things that you're seeking for glory, seeking to satisfy yourself, it's not going to satisfy. It's only found in this great purpose of reflecting the glory of our beautiful God. That is the thing that will satisfy you at the deepest level. And so we all fall short of what we were created for. Paul makes the argument, if you remember earlier on, that we take God and we push him aside, we reject him, and we replace him. We replace him with cheap imitations, cheap substitutions. I replace him 
with things far less, things that are temporary, that won't really satisfy me, things like pleasure and comfort and power and control, and yes, my own glory, and created things rather than the creator. We replace God with false gods. So that is our predicament. That's a predicament that we are all in, and we are lost, save for the fact that God takes the initiative. He has to take the initiative and move towards us because we cannot move towards him. And that's where we find ourselves at the start of the passage in verse 21, where it says, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. You know, Paul has been making this argument. He's showing that we are sinners. He is showing that we are in rebellion against God. He is showing us that his wrath is revealed against that and we deserve his wrath. And now we get a breath of the good news of fresh air. But now the righteousness of God is manifested. And it harkens back to what he said and gave us a glimpse of in chapter one when he says the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And so today when we look at this passage, I'm gonna unpack three words in this passage. It can be a little bit different type of a sermon this morning. Three words in this passage that manifest the righteousness of God in Jesus, showing that Jesus does what we fail to do, showing that where we come up short and cannot close that, the, the gap, that Jesus does that for us. These are the three words, justification, redemption, and propitiation. Now, some of you guys have heard these words and you're just about ready to pull out your phone and jump on Wordle, right? Or Candy Crush, you've heard these words, they're technical words, they're theological words, and you're saying, man, I don't need to know this. Maybe I should catch up on some of my, my, uh, my sleep. I want you guys to pay attention. I want you guys to, to sink into this and to grapple with these words. Whether this is the first time you've heard these words or whether this is, you know, the hundredth time. And why is that? Because it's, it's for all of us this morning. Because the gospel is not only how we enter into God's family, but it's how, but it's how we're going to live the rest of our lives. The rest of your lives, if you are in Christ, you're going to plumb the depths of justification, of redemption, of propitiation. And hopefully this morning after the message, you're going to understand that it has application for where you are today. It impacts exactly where you are today. It's exactly what you need. So let's jump into that very first word, justification. We're going to see this in verse 24. Starting in verse 23 again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification, that word is a legal a forensic word, so I want you to, to have this mindset of lawyers, of judges, of a courtroom. And it's the pronouncement of a judge. It's a pronouncement, actually, that's going to be made upon everyone in this room. One of two pronouncements, justified 
or condemned. No alternatives. Every single person in the room today, when you stand before God at the end of time, you're going to have one of two things pronounced over you. So you're going to want to understand what it means to be justified. If you are justified by God the judge, what it means is he is declaring you as righteous, as righteous, perfect, holy, without spot, without stain. And it's, it's more than that you have not only, you have not only not broken his law, but you have perfectly fulfilled it. It's a declaration of your status before a holy God. Now, you may be wondering, we've already talked about the fact that we're all sinners, that we're all unrighteous, that we're all evil, that we're all bad. Now, how can a righteous God declare you to be righteous, the sinner? How can he reveal his righteousness in justification? How can he maintain the fact that he is just and right? Well, Paul would very succinctly say it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Very short, a very simple verse, but very profound. Theologians call this double imputation. Imputation is an accounting term. What it means is that what God is doing in justification is he's taking Jesus's righteousness and he is crediting it to your account. He is depositing it into your account and he's taking your unrighteousness and he's laying it upon his son, Jesus. Double imputation. That is how this conundrum is solved. This is how justice is maintained. This is how a just God can justify the unjust. I want you also to see in verse 24 something about this justification. And that is that it is a gracious gift. It's a gift in, in, in that it's something that you receive. It's something that you don't have to pay for. It's something that you can't earn. It's something that you don't perform for. Something you don't merit, right? When you give a gift to someone else, like parents, when you give a gift to your kids, you're not expecting them to perform to get it. That's, that sounds ridiculous, right? So it's a gift. We understand gift, but it's a gracious gift, meaning it's, it's not merited, nor is it deserved. And that may sound astounding to you that maybe I don't deserve the gift of justification. And remember, we're all under sin. We have all sinned. No one is righteous. No, not one. We cannot restore our relationship to God. God has to take the initiative. God has to reach down and do for us what we cannot do, and he does that in his son Jesus, and he gives us this gracious gift in Jesus. What does it look like? Well, in earthly terms, this is the only way I can explain it to you. If you're a parent and you have a teenager, and they, let's say they turn 16, you buy them that brand new car. You pay for it all on your own. But your kid, he takes this car, he or she takes this car, and what do they do? They're reckless with it. 
They blow the stop signs. They blow the red lights. They don't obey the rules. And what is the consequence of that? They eventually total the car. They total the car. Now, what would be a gracious gift for a parent to do in this situation? A gracious gift would be the parent to go ahead and buy a brand new car and give it to them without any strings attached. No, you don't have to pay me back. No, you don't have to pay for the difference in the insurance because it went up. No, you don't have to take driving classes. Here is another brand new car. And you're thinking to yourself, there is no way I would do that. They don't deserve it. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point in justification. You don't deserve it. Paul is saying it's a gracious gift. And in your head, you're thinking it sounds reckless. Why, why would God do that? Why would he declare us righteous, free as a gift, undeserved, unmerited? Well, stay tuned. Paul is going to address this, this question later on in a, in a future chapter in Romans. It does sound reckless. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like something we would do as parents. That's what's so astounding about this message of grace. It is grace. It's not Deserved. That's why Paul is making the argument in the, in the passage that there, there's no boasting. There's no boasting. No one can boast because it is a gift freely given by God. And so how does justification manifest or reveal the righteousness of God? It does it in this way. It does it in this way. In that God requires justification, righteousness of us, And he himself provides it as a free, gracious gift for those who are in Christ Jesus, declaring us righteous before him because of the righteousness of Jesus. That's how he does it. So let's look now at that second theological word, redemption. How does redemption reveal the righteousness of God? In verse 24, again, they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you spent any time on the internet, uh, you've looked at images, you've run across images, you may have seen the name Getty, Getty Images. It's one of the largest repositories of images on the internet. What you may not know is the Getty family was a rich, rich family. They were led by their patriarch, J. Paul Getty. And then in 1957, Fortune magazine, they named him the wealthiest living American. Paul Getty was filthy rich. And in 1973, what happened? His grandson was kidnapped in Rome. And the kidnappers wanted a ransom. They wanted $17 million. What they didn't know was that Paul Getty was a cheapskate. He was a stingy cheapskate. Listen to what he, he refused to pay the ransom. This is, this is what he says. Listen to this. I have 14 other grandchildren, and if I pay one penny now, then I will have 14 other kidnapped grandchildren. <laughs> Can you imagine? How would you like to be his, his grandchild? Well, time went on, the, the, the kidnappers were growing frustrated, and Paul was able to haggle them down. 
He haggled them down to $2 million. Why that, why that number? What's so magic? Well, that's actually the maximum at that time that he could write off in his taxes, right? This is a cheap, cheap guy, right? Well, he paid that ransom, and his grandchild was released. And so you understand this concept of ransom. Ransom is a price that is paid to secure the freedom of someone who is held captive. Redemption is that act of paying that ransom, of securing the release of someone by the paying of a ransom. Paul Getty redeemed his grandson by paying a ransom. That's what's meant by redemption. Paul is using it in the same way. We are redeemed by Jesus. What are we redeemed from? Because if we are redeemed, it sounds like we are held captive. Well, you've heard it already. We have all sinned. We are all captive to sin. We are all captive to sin and its curse, which is death, total death, spiritual and physical death. If you're here this morning, if you are apart from Christ, if you have not followed him in faith, you are in slavery to sin. What do I mean that by that? I mean, I mean that sin is your master. Whether you realize it or not, you are spending your whole life serving sin. You cannot not sin. You're in bondage. You're in slavery. You are trapped in sin. You say, but, but I, I do good works. Look at, the, look at the things I'm trying to do. And even your good works at its deepest level is stained with sin. You are held captive to sin and you have no hope to be released apart from a ransom. There needs to be a ransom paid so that you can be released. And what is the ransom that Jesus pays? He pays with his life. He pays with his life. And here's another aspect of the righteousness of God that I want you to understand. You see, for God to be a righteous God, he just, he just can't say and declare over you that you're righteous and impute Christ's righteousness to you. Because we all know when a law is broken, damage is done, harm is done. Something has happened. Something needs to be accounted for. When, you, when, when a person breaks the law and steals something from another person, you wouldn't feel right about it if the judge said, well, you're, you're gonna, we're going to let that person get off scot-free. They're righteous. They didn't break the law. You're not going to feel good about that. Damage has been done. Redemption says it's paid for with Jesus' life. He pays for your wrongdoing in mind with his precious, infinite life, not with a stingy ransom of $2 million. And so how does redemption, how does that manifest God's righteousness? It manifests it in that God's righteousness, his justice, is fully satisfied and that Jesus offers his life as a payment for your sin. 
And so righteousness is revealed in justification. Righteousness is revealed in redemption. Righteousness is revealed in propitiation. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, this is a word that probably there's a lot here have never heard this word or don't understand this word. This word was chosen specifically by the translators of the ESV and other versions of the Bible, particularly because it fits well within the argument and the context that Paul has been making all along, okay? What is the argument that Paul has been making? I'm gonna take you all the way back to Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The context is that we are sinners, and because of that, God's holy wrath has been revealed against sin. And you might be here this morning, and you, you just tensed up. You've tensed up because you say, I believe in a loving God, but I don't believe that God is a God of wrath. I just want to remind you, we've, we've already covered it, but, but just to help you understand that, that you can't just believe that God is a loving God without believing that he is a God of wrath. It would be a contradiction because God, who is perfect in his righteousness and his love, he cannot be cool. He cannot be indifferent. He cannot look away from evil and it not arouse something in him. It's the other side of his love. And if you remember when I, when I preached on this, I talked about this illustration of fathers. You love your daughters. And if someone wants to do harm towards your daughter, or if they have harmed them, you are going, within you, you're going to rise up in righteous, holy anger towards that evil. Why? Because of the depth of your love for your daughter. You can't insist on a God of love without having a God of wrath. That's the context that Paul has been giving us, that we all deserve wrath because of our rejection of our creator, because of our rejection of God, who he is, what he has done. And so now propitiation, that theological, that technical word, what does it mean in the context of wrath? Propitiation is the utter satisfaction of God's wrath on our behalf. It's Jesus completely emptying the cup of God's wrath, drinking every last drop of God's wrath that is meant for us, the wrath that we deserve. We talk about us not deserving his grace or justification. What is it that we deserve? We deserve wrath. Wrath is a real thing. Our sin is a real thing. And a lot of times we go through life, we don't realize how bad we are because we don't realize how good and holy and righteous God is. We deserve wrath. And when we look at propitiation, what we see is Jesus exhausting, fully emptying the cup of God's wrath for us. And how does he do it? He offers his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so that means every strike of the fist, 
Every press of, of thorns in his head, every, every nail in his, his hands and feet, every strike of the whip upon his back, and even that, that very worst blow for Jesus, who was in relationship with his, his father for all of eternity, never knowing a day apart from his loving father to be abandoned, forsaken by God. Jesus experiences the full wrath of God. You know, there's nothing in this world we've ever known as great as the magnitude of the wrath of God upon his own son, Jesus. The flood which wiped out all of humanity except for Noah and his family does not approach the magnitude of the wrath of God poured out on his son. And why is that? Because of the infinite worth of Jesus, nothing compares to the worth of Jesus and God pours out his wrath on his dear son. That is propitiation. He exhausts the wrath of God. What are the implications of it? It means that his, his disposition towards us used to be one of wrath because of our rebellion and now it is one of love. That's what the Apostle John would tell us in 1 John chapter 4. Let me read this for you. I don't, you don't, won't have this scripture. 1 John chapter 4, starting in, in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. There's that word again. Revealing of the love of God. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The exhausting of the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, Jesus takes it for us. And so how does propitiation manifest the righteousness of God? It does so in that Jesus exhausts God's righteous wrath that was meant for us and so how, how, do we, how do we partake in these, these things? How do we partake in justification, redemption, propitiation? Paul is going to make this ultra clear. He says it three times. He says it in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He would say it in 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And in 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's by faith in Jesus. What does that mean? It means simple trust in Jesus, who he is, what he has done for you. If you're here this morning, you've yet to follow him by faith. Maybe you've been here. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been here over and over again and you've heard the message of grace. I want to encourage you this morning. Humble yourself. Because it's pride that does not allow you to accept the grace of God. Because it's all of God. He does all the work in justification and redemption and propitiation. He does all of the work. You can't bring a single thing in your hands to him. Humble yourself and receive as a gracious gift Jesus and all that he has done 
for you. If you if you've followed Christ for many years, I told you right at the beginning, the gospel is not only how we enter into the family of God, it is how we're going to live the rest of our lives. I want to give you, uh, just in our remaining time, just a few ways for you to think about how these theological ideas that capture the gospel, how does it impact me today? Because I've come in with needs. Think about this. If you are justified before God, if you're declared righteous, if you're declared perfect, spotless, without stain before the most important being in the entire universe. Who else do you have to justify yourself to? Do you have to justify, are you still trying to justify yourself to God even as a believer when Christ has set his righteousness upon you? Maybe you're trying to justify yourself to a coworker or a friend you're in a relationship with. Or maybe you're trying to justify yourself to you. You're pursuing a life trying to justify your very existence. You need to, you need to hear the words that you are declared righteous in God's sight. There's nothing you can do. Let me tell you this. There's, there's nothing you're going to achieve or do in this life that's going to top the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You've got it all. You've got his very best. You're never going to come close to that. Rest in it. Find greater freedom in your justification. In Jesus, let it set you free. Redemption. You've been bought with a price. Some of you are here this morning, and the way you feel about yourself is not very good. Your, your esteem, your worth, you struggle with it. Why is that? It's because it's not resting in the precious blood of Jesus. Your worth is resting in something other than the worth of Jesus. You know, if you put your worth in how you look, you're going to fall short. There's always someone prettier, more handsome, better looking than you. You're always going to feel ugly. If you put your worth in your bank account, you're always going to fall short. You're never going to have enough. If you put your worth in your achievements or in your resume, it's never going to be good enough. You're always going to fall short. Look at what, what God declares over you. He says, you are worth the blood of my dear son. And when you hear that, what is your value before God? You are highly prized. You're the apple of his eye. He has a burning love towards you. Let that inform the way you feel about yourself this morning. Look up and see your salvation is near. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can top the preciousness of the blood of Christ. Rest your worth in Christ. Let that set you free. And lastly, propitiation. Jesus has satisfied God's wrath. And I, I still think this morning it just doesn't sound real, this thing of wrath that we all deserve. But no, God's disposition has changed from that of wrath towards us now towards 
love. And what can a God who's burning in love towards you do for you? How can it set you free? How can it give you courage to face tomorrow? How can this kind of love set you free from the fears that you brought in this morning? Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, the gospel blows our minds. We can't understand how a holy and righteous God would even want a relationship with the sinner, with me, with us. But you do. You reach down as a gracious gift and you give us the gift of your son. In him, we are declared righteous. In him, you have bought us with his precious blood. In him, the wrath that we deserve has fully been exhausted. Father, we have nothing to boast in. There's nothing that we can bring Lord, I pray this morning, we give praise to Jesus for what he has done. I pray this morning for the person here this morning in their pride who has stiff-armed you all the way that today they would receive the gift of Jesus by faith. We ask this in his precious name.